Escape from Plan A. You know, let's talk about Bitcoin. I'm very let's let's talk about that for a sec. All right, I'm done. I'm okay, down because Bitcoin. I'm a big believer in Bitcoin. You look at Bitcoin and it looks like a complete scam, but then you really think about what's going on and you're like, well, it kind of makes sense too at the same time. You know, like mm-hmm. it is digital gold, and I think there is a place for digital gold. Uh, you know, in 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 anticipation of, you know, um, uh, of a debasement of the U.S. dollar. Not to say that that's necessarily going to happen immediately, but a lot of people don't really see, and smart people like Ray Dalio, for example, uh, manager of mm-hmm. the world's largest hedge fund. Um, has been talking about this for a lot, a, a lot, and, a, and and you know, like I would say, finance. He makes a compelling case for it. I would say, yeah, based on history too, right? And I think a lot of pe- uh, people mm-hmm. in finance that are very serious people um, are worried about the stability of the U.S. dollar for real, you know. And so, yeah, we've talked about that before too. I, uh, it's. It's like a it's like a game of a uh, chicken. I feel like I'm just I'm just like clinging, mm-hmm. and the whole thing is going to pop at some point. And when that wipes out, it's going to be chaos, yeah. just absolute chaos. Because we're all invested in it, and as a population, I'm not convinced that we actually have the range of skills, uh, knowledge, and ability or motivation even mm-hmm. to rebuild anything after that. Yeah. I mean, it's it, the country has been hollowed out intellectually, culturally, spiritually, just hollowed out. Yeah. I mean, we're talking at this point. We're talking like, uh, like uh, sometimes. Do, do you check like literacy rates? No. Okay, we're at a we're at a catastrophic low, oh, like an all time low. Are you serious? What is the literacy rate? Yeah, I seriously. always assumed it was like ninety six percent. Um, well, I don't know about I don't know about the percentage of people who would know how to read, mm. but it's uh, something about it's a statistic on a on like w- at what reading level are are adults at. Oh, Collectively, we're about at like a fourth grade Jesus level. Christ. And we're not a very young. And one society. of the metrics that they use, we're not a young society. So this is a so at the top end are the boomers who did get the advantage of cheap and good quality public education broadly distributed at low cost. Um, and the younger generations that's so that's where the real that's that's where the real problem is is bubbling up in um and we know this from other fact like we know higher education is getting prohibitively expensive uh and difficult to access um we know public school is getting is just getting gutted if it has if it's not already you know uh limped to its deathbed already um and you know one of the one of the good metrics for that is uh, presidential debates uh, at what reading level presidential debates are at, uh, and that's been falling precipitously since uh, since the seventies. So, like the Nixon Kennedy debate, they rated that at like a like a tenth grade reading level, uh, and then all the way down to to what we what we saw in twenty twenty, which was just hovering above a third grade reading level. Wow. And I think that's I mean that feels true. Um, 
we I, we watched the debates. Uh, I think you caught I, I caught at least two of them. Um, it's very simple, very simple diction. Uh, no nuance, no complexity, all slogans, uh, all mantras that have been repeated a thousand times before on the campaign trail. Very little, uh, very little going off script. Um, extremely simple stuff. And that's where we're at as a baseline. I think you can you can kind of fudge it a little and say, okay, it's because you know they're trying to rep- you know not all people are English speakers, native English speakers. True, that you can make a case for that. But going from a a tenth grade reading level to a third grade reading level for a presidential debate, that's a pretty big debasement let's be real. of I mean, a country's intellectual capacity. Let's be honest. I mean, the, the immigrants generally their children are going to be more literate, not less, because they like put a ton of effort into learning the language, you know, but. Yeah, and I mean that's a little patronizing. A lot of immigrants come here, bec- and they are allowed to come here because they are knowledge workers who do exactly. know English. So that excuse doesn't fly. Um, and th- 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 we're talking, this you goes, know, this in- flies in the face of what was being said. You know, when when deindustrialization was happening, and they were like, "Oh, we we have to retrain and redouble our effort." Remember Clinton and all this shit about, you know, we're going to become a knowledge service economy, and we're going to have to really put in the, we have to invest in yeah, higher education. Okay, so between that time till now, the literacy rate or the literacy level uh, plummets. So what the Mm -hmm. fuck are they talking about? We got the deindustrialization part. That happened. But what about the education and retraining part? No, I don't see it. Uh, Privatized and and gutted. That's where that's where we're at. So we're at a catastrophic low in terms of just um, the 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 kind of human capital that a functional society actually needs. We don't have a lot of people who know actual hard skills. Um, we have a small priesthood at the very top who gatekeep like hell and charge exorbitant amounts for increasingly uh, flimsy uh, services yeah. and so-called knowledge. But beyond that, no, it's it's completely hollowed out. So there's al- so that almost that makes me really that upsets me a lot because this means that there is no leverage within the system. There's no, there's no real, there's not that much room to say withhold labor to make capital uh, capitulate. Um, Absolutely, and this is not what, the fault. What of the do people. Americans collectively have? I'm working Americans. What do we collectively have that we could use against anyone to benefit ourselves? Nothing. So I mean, it's a, it's I'll call a service economy for the working class. It's service to the American middle and upper class. Yeah. I think, um, I think a lot of it is just self-discipline. It's just like, look, you're here. I don't wish you weren't here, but you are. So what can we do to make you exist with as little disruption to my interests as possible? I think that's what it is. 2020 was an exercise in that, in exactly that. What's the bare minimum we have to do yeah. to keep you people quiet and keep doing your fucking jobs you know, for me, for yeah, my You benefit. know what we, what, what, what we are, people? to the sort of like 1% is kind of like the spotted owl or whatever that thing was. The, do you remember like there was oh. this whole thing about like <laughs> the, you know, the Endangered Species Act? And it's like yeah, it, yeah. It, it stood in the way of you know, this logging and develop, you know, this sort of natural resource extraction that would have been extremely uh, you know, valuable and uh, it, all to save this owl or a bunch of the habitat of all these endangered species because now it's illegal to destroy their habitat. And I think that's kind of like what people are. It's kind of like, we don't need these people. We, 
they could just for all yeah, we that's care, why but we can't get that's why they're all moral arguments yeah. They're all moral arguments. Right. Like, oh, we should do the right yeah. thing. This is just the correct. This is the moral thing. There is no practical. Uh, there is no practical argument presented for why people should be helped like yeah. this. But but meanwhile, it and actually, I think that's very what telling. What are we doing? Like, we're locking up people. I've seen. I mean, people should look at these charts. Just just search Google for incarceration rate by country. It'll boggle your mind how many people we put in prison compared to any other country in the world. Not developed countries, not Western countries, any country. We are by far number one. And the, imprison- and the incarceration rate for black people, black men in particular, is six times that of white people, right? And look at now with COVID, like, did, I just saw something that said, uh, this was a study done in, uh, in PNAS, so a very credible study. They expect that the life expectancy of Americans is going to fall by 14 months, one year and two months in 2020 because of COVID-19. But the impact is four to five times higher for black and Latino. So there, I don't know exactly, I I don't know the exact, uh, you know, waiting uh, for the populations and such, but I, I gather that means black and Latino lives are go- lifespans are going to be dropped by like three, four years. And that of whites is going to be oh, much shit. less than uh-huh. that in six months. I don't know. Something like that. Five months. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we're looking at a drop in life expectancy of over one year as an entire society because of COVID-19 is shocking to me and incredibly sad. And to see that that's going to be impacted mm-hmm. specifically on Black and Latino, I'm like, why is it always consistent with the hierarchy by which we value lives in America? Like, no matter what we say, no matter what our professed values are, when you look at the pudding, the proof is in there. Like, they are going to bear the brunt of the deaths. And no matter what your professed values are, that's just how it ends up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... And it's funny because, like, for a time there was, like, this thing, you know, remember white lifespans were falling faster than any other because of uh, opiate? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I remember well, that. they caught up real fast, you know? Like, <laughs> COVID-19, <laughs> the gap yeah. real fast. And then uh-huh. Um, anyway, this is, the, this, this is all to say, I think, I, on, on, from my end, I feel like that a lot of the things that I'm starting to see, it's... I have to like sometimes rub my eyes. I'm like, is this, am I really looking at this? Because it used to be stuff that fringe people would say. Like mm-hmm. fringe people that would say, you know, let's say pro communist, anti American propaganda or whatever would say this. You'd see this on RT all the time about how the US dollar is going to um, fall because it's nothing but fiat money and all this stuff. And economists, by and large, in the U.S., laughed at that idea, saying this is a very elementary understanding of how money works. You know, we really know how it works. But I'm looking now. This is at, I'll put a link. Uh, it's on Yale University's uh, website. Uh, crash in U.S. dollars coming. <clears throat> this is by Stephen Roach, who's a professor of economics at Yale. And uh, the COVID-19 pandemic may end the U.S. dollar status as the primary reserve currency, warns Yale economist Stephen Roach. Uh, Mm -hmm. pandemic and high unemployment pressure U.S. living standards and spending, even as world leaders question U.S. leadership and notions of exceptionalism. 
current account deficits, i.e. trade deficits since 1982, massive shortfall in domestic U.S. savings rate, and ever-expanding government budget deficits contribute to the strain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then rising tensions in U.S.-China relations may motivate China to step back from lending. These are things that I would only ever associate with very fringe thing, like fringe people. But now mm -hmm. it's Stephen Roach, who's a very serious economist, talking about this. He's a Stephen Roach. I mean, this is how he's Stephen Roach, faculty member at Yale University, former chairman of Morgan Stanley Asia, and author of *Unbalanced: The Codependency of America and China*. Um. So when you when I see that. I used to realize that I had this sort of like built in feeling of safety to say like, okay, I guess it could theoretically be true, but this is coming from very fringe people. Like nobody actually believes this is going to happen or if it does, it's going to happen so far in the future. Now it's being said mm -hmm. by very credible people. And it makes me yep. pause to be like, we're, it sounds like we're really at. Oh shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's unnerving, you know? Um, things are falling apart faster mm -hmm. than I think people, um, far faster than I expected. And I've always been very skeptical of the whole thing. Yeah. It's like the, uh, I, I remember like, like fourth grade, third grade, you know, when they do those, um, like, uh, those lessons to kids. Okay. Remember to recycle global warming is, is, is a real thing. I'm old enough where they called it uh, global warming in school, not climate change. Um, but I, I, I'm never going to forget. I need to hunt this book down or something. They, in this book, it said global warming is going to start happening in like 200 years. Right. That's where we're at. And this is like the mid 90s. When, uh, you know. Um, So, you know, I just my little brain is like, oh, shit, that's that's terrible. Global warming. But 200 years. OK, we got a little time to turn the ship around. You wonder, and, yeah, I know what you're talking uh, about. You wonder if that's because, and, I, and I've heard that with climate change, that there actually is, um, despite what they say, that there's this um, huge, overwhelming, what they call consensus in the scientific community, that these days they've actually been saying that the scientific community, when it comes to climate, has been, per, per, has been chronically understating the severity of the problem. And that sounds that sounds plausible to me. Yeah. Uh, like if we're trying, if uh, uh, like they pr they probably picked the second of three options, right? First being the most catastrophic outlook that starts the clock ticking on global warming, the catastrophic effects of global warming within like a few decades, and you know the other side, which is global warming is not a problem, so we don't ever need to talk about it. The middle road is saying something like uh, it's, it's saying something, it's saying it's real, but kind of um, very far out. Mm -hmm. So well beyond the realm of, of caring for whoever has to be listening right now. Yeah. Yeah. So they could never be um, wrong and, in a way. Right. As long mm -hmm. as long as I'm saying it's far off, it's kind of hedged because it's like, well, if it happens faster, well, how far? At, at least I raised the yeah. alarm to some extent. It just happened faster than I expected. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't happen, <clears throat> I won't be around to be called out for it, you know? So it's always right. off in the horizon where it's like not really quite in our present. It's not really quite impinging on our present moment. And you're right. I think mm -hmm. <clears throat> growing up, there was a lot of talk about stuff that was in the future. Like we had to think about the potential dangers ahead. 
but it was always spoken about in this future tense that never seemed to impinge on your current sphere of time, right? The present. Yeah, so you just don't have, you to, have to worry about you, it. You throw, you recycle your cans, mm -hmm. uh, but that's because that's the good thing to do. That's the moral thing to do. There is no practical ramification, so to mm. speak, for all intents and purposes. There's no real impact to it, material impact. You just do it because it's a nice thing to do for Mother Earth. Right, right, right. It, it, there, there was, there was nothing that you were actually trying to put off, except a notion, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Like a general unease, like a sense of stewardship to kind of, like, I mean, that's the language, right? Like the, what the world that you will come to possess and that you will pass down to your children, right? So it's more, it was more conservation of this, this, uh, this halcyon. Uh, the halcyon days way of life in America. Not like we we are we have to, not the recycling ever self jack shit, but that was for a fourth grader. That's that's what they put in front of you as doing your bit for planet Earth. Um, but if it's two hundred years out, I mean, who really has to give a shit? What's scary is <clears throat> not only is it happening faster, but it, when it happens, it's worse than we thought. And I think the yes. perfect example of that is is COVID, because. I think it enabled consumerism. I think it was the start of the turbocharging. It was a balancing between uh, uh, actual any any actual attempted at stewardship versus enabling consumerism. What what was the uh, COVID? Um, that, that that hedge, the climate change oh, climate hedge, change. Yeah, yeah. saying that it's real but it's very far right. out. It means that not, you don't actually have to change anything that you're currently doing or want to do. You just have to like kind of tidy up behind yourself as you go. Oh yeah, it's like we're so we're and it's like we're so far ahead of the curve that even small changes in direction will grow to put us onto the right path, right? Like if we make we're yeah. so far ahead yeah. that like if we can course correct now, you know, in the future we'll be you know that much further away from the problem than you know. And we didn't realize the problem was yeah, already so like, minutes, in our immediate realm. <laughs> like we needed to turn and they don't actually recycle they yeah, don't they actually do recycle yeah, that yeah. shit <laughs> and even if they did it wouldn't matter that's not the problem you know like, yeah so. but like it's framed as like we're so far ahead of the problem we are we're smart our great scientists and political leaders are so ahead of the curve that they're thinking so far beyond their own lifetimes uh, out of worry for this beautiful planet of ours and we're so far ahead that just you, a child, remembering to toss your, you know, Coke can into the recycle the, the the recycling bin, you know, the can with the blue lid on it, not the black lid. Um, that'll be enough. Yeah. These cumulative little changes will be more than enough to offset the effects of uh, global warming several hundred years from from now. You, you know, I think the the perfect example of this is COVID because uh, if you look at if you watch that movie Contagion. Uh, that movie, I think, was in 2013, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, eight years ago, and and I guess seven years ago from the beginning of the uh, pandemic. I mean, a blink of an eye, and it it really foreshadowed a lot of what was coming in, and you know, a lot of people knew that this was going to happen. It's not a rare event; it's just a rare event that one becomes this contagious. But you know, outbreaks happen all the time, and so scientists were like, "It's going to happen." For sure, it's going to happen. And so they made a movie about it. And the movie was like, okay, if it gets really bad, hypothetically, this is what it's going to look like. And it turns out that as horrific as, you know, they tried to make it in the movie, one, the reality hit 
much sooner than I'm sure anyone on that movie or that had, you know, was part of that movie had expected. And two, the reality was much worse. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. in that movie, you had these scenes where like the government gets freaked out and they start sending in the military and they, you know, cordon off entire towns and do like hard enforced, uh, you know, um, hard enforced lockdowns and quarantines and they race to make a vaccine. And the second the vaccine is made, they put all effort into making sure that every person in America gets it within two weeks, you know, that kind of stuff. Reality turns out is much worse. And I think when the pandemic started, like, I remember the, even the Trump administration was like, we see the high end of this is maybe 100 to 250,000 deaths, you know, when all is said and done. And when they said that Mm -hmm. people were outraged, they were like, he gave himself this huge amount of room. Like, I can't believe they think 100 to 250,000 is acceptable. But they were saying like, oh, Trump is just setting the bar low. So that later when it turns out that, you know, 50,000 people died, he can say, oh, I succeeded. But the reality was much worse than even those high-end estimates, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're about to round out half yeah. a million dead. So the, That's an- the, the realities, the scary realities that we used to think were, you know, these hypothetical but maybe inevitable things are coming back to, are coming into our present reality faster and also much worse than we expected. And I think the same was true for climate change. Mm-hmm. It's been worse than expected. Like every model. Far sooner. Sooner and mm-hmm. the, the, the impacts are more complex and worse than I think even the most gloomy uh, predictions were is what is what I'm reading. Yeah. And for both, we don't take it seriously until it starts to affect us directly. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, I think, an, another component of uh, how global warming was presented to, to at least me as a kid, um, that it's a real thing, but it's really just going to affect the people, you know, quote, over there, just, just generally over there. Um, it's not really going to have an impact on, on the U.S. Um, it's not really, it's not really a big problem. It's for all those dirty, polluted countries. Yeah. Yeah, and that's this is where you insert some picture of, you know, a Chinese factory belching black smoke into the air and contrast this with, like, a picture of, I don't know, um, the Rocky Mountains, a pristine lake at the base of the Rocky Mountains or something. Um, God, there's so there was so much propaganda in this messaging. Like, if global warming, it's happening because of, you know, that Chinese factory, that Indian slum. Um, and it's an attack, it's a direct attack on this pristine, uh, the pristineness of the United States. Um, so that displaces the problem somewhat. So, so you don't actually need to affect, you are within, you're in the safe zone. So you don't actually need to do jack shit. Just consume, go about your life. Just remember to toss that can in the recycling. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really affect you directly. Um, but you know. With COVID and with uh, with uh, climate change, it came home in a hurry. I think it's generally true that uh, I mean, you, if you climate change LA ramps and up, you you must. I mean, with between uh, you know the insane wildfires, and <laughs> insane yeah. outbreak uh, of of coronavirus there. Uh, I would I would say that Los Angeles is probably one of the most affected places. 
Yeah, I mean, there was a funny tweet a couple months back when we ha- when wildfires were raging, we had uh, an earthquake, um, and COVID was starting to ramp up. Someone made a tweet like, "Okay, what the fuck? Okay, in case of earthquake, you have to run outside, but because of COVID, you have to stay inside." Uh, <laughs> and uh, and what about like what do we do about COVID, which is everywhere? So where are we supposed to go here? But, but even with those um, immediate that's... impacts being felt, it seems like and I but I've not been in LA obviously in, in since any of this happened. But from from what I hear from you and other people that live there, people are still kind of carrying around about as if it's not really happening. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of yeah. well, one, it's like what are they going to do? Well, I mean, okay, so how do you react to the fact that the, you know? Everything's on fire. Well, I guess you move, and that's happening. People are leaving LA for Texas or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what are you supposed to do on your day to day? It reminds me of that picture, you know, uh, of the people golfing, and there's like this raging mm-hmm. <laughs> fire in the background, you know. And you're oh yeah, yeah, or or that that meme of the dog that's like, this is fine, and the entire house is on fire. Like, <laughs> but it's like, what are you supposed to do, right? Like, you're in LA. Yeah. There's a raging pandemic. Uh, you know, the climate is completely fucked up. There's droughts. There's, you know, 100,000 people being evacuated in Orange County because of smoke and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, but what am I going to do? Stop going to work? Stop stop doing my daily errands? Mm-hmm. Stop, you know, driving my car? Stop? No, no aid. Basically no aid either. So you're on your own. You, you, get, you get into a certain uh, survivalist mindset. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's strictly, you know, you're out for yourself and, you know, the limited number of people in your inner circle that you uh, are obliging yourself to feel uh, to to feel some care for. Uh, but you're out there. It's it's not it's the opposite of communalist. Mm-hmm. It's very it's very nihilist, I would yeah. say. Um, it's it's a bleak time, and I think that's I, maybe that's just sharpened in LA because we've been hit with so much over a short period of time. But broadly speaking, this is just cropping up everywhere. Uh, I think part of you know the appeal of this Wall Street just to loop it all the way back around. Uh, the part of the appeal in watching Wall Street bets was the appeal of watching people come together in a in a, some kind of common cause because we get so little of that. We get none of that actually mm-hmm. um, in an ordinary day to day. Uh, to see it get dis- to see this happen to it is is uh, I, it's it's a bit disheartening. Yeah, it was bound to happen. To say the I mean, least, it and it's and this is an accelerant. It was bound to happen, but I mean, and once once the dust settles on this, this is going to accelerate that existing trend. Um, people talk about like democratized, crowdsourced, uh, you know, investing or something. What happens when the biggest, most prominent prominent example of that turns out to have skinned a whole bunch of hopeful latecomers alive? Uh, are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust at this point? Nobody. I, I, I gotta say, so I, the big guy's going to win like they always do. Um, you're not going to, you're going to get, you're going to lose. And it turns out uh, all the early birds on Wall Street bets were, were manipulating the latecomers, the hopeful latecomers into being cannon fodder for their own games. That's exactly what's going on. I mean, because there's no organization. Yeah. It's not, it's a, it's a mass, it's a, it's a, hysteria of the masses but it is not organization of the masses right and mm-hmm. it can be easy it's easy to confuse the two and i think that there is a you there's a it's a catharsis right it's it, it is mm-hmm. exactly like i said it is exactly it's just what these people are saying i i haven't felt this exhilarated in a while i haven't felt this alive mm-hmm. in a while right and i think that the effects of 
what we're calling the, you know, of climate change, of economic malaise, you know, of all this stuff is numbness. You know, mm-hmm. I think that what we have to do is we have to become numb to the fact that um, half our city burned down. Like we have to become numb to the fact that, you know, we're getting poorer every year. We have to get numb to the fact that, you know, oh, my, I, I know like three people that died of COVID or whatever the average number of people know, you know, like um, you get mm-hmm. numb to that. And the net accumulative effect, I think, is a sort of creeping sort of malaise, depression or something. And when the something like this happens and people feel so much from such a small, such a weird thing, but they feel it and they crave feeling something shows to me that, you know, that is a big problem, you know, and, and, and even self-harm is exactly what Wall Street Bets is advocating now is to throw your money away mm-hmm. to be, they say, be retarded, right? Be stupid, throw your money away and you will feel something. And, uh, I find that to be like self-harm, you know, it's like the way people. Yeah. That's a good point. Feeling the dopamine rush to feel like you're sticking it to the man Mm -hmm. or not surrendering. I think it's a, it's, there's such a, there's so much of male psyche wrapped up into that, the language of decline too here. Mm -hmm. Uh, You talked about, you know, the bullying tone that people have been taking on, on wall street bets. Uh, I started poking around a little, and I saw that it's like direct jabs at masculinity here. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you gonna you gonna you know, bend over and take it from the man? You gotta you gotta you know nut up and and see it through, even if it even if you go under. Yeah, it's some real like a, like are you last... gonna be a pussy ass paper hands, or are you gonna hold mm-hmm. to you know so the rocket ship will hit the moon so that you have enough tendies uh, so that you can finally move out of your wife's boyfriend's basement. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, the challenges to masculinity come fast and fast and furious on that website. And I think that's exactly, mm-hmm. yeah, it's exactly part of it. It's, it's um, the feeling that the, a man can never achieve manhood um, under the system. And you're right. I think there is a, there is a truth to it. There is a lot of truth to that um, because like that guy who chastised them on MSNBC, both of the, both of the options he laid out are traps they're not going to get their balls back going down if you embrace either road so in that case i mean if you're committed to that then yes yeah, set your money on fire what, what? it's going to suck when it when it looks like uh when the dust settles and, and i think a lot of them still think that by holding out they are bleeding wall street more mm-hmm. which could be true but i also think there's a lot of people profiting off of this this hysteria too I, I, the wrong people I think wall street already paid so wall street already paid the money They've already taken the loss. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is just hurt. This is one sided hurt then. Uh, and when when that when when that realization occurs, I I'm kind of, I it's going to be sad to see the the uh, the social fallout from that. I mean, I blame the Democrats <laughs> because they could harness this energy. Fair. They could harness this energy into a truly progressive political movement and they should never have sidelined Bernie and they could have said, looked into the future and said, what are we going to do for this country? What are we going to do for the people? Like, how do we make this right? But instead they just fucking held on to power. They just fucking made Biden president. Why him? 
What does he know? What does he stand for? Nothing. He was just Obama's vice president. That's the only reason he is president. Because he smells like Obama. <laughs> like, that's the only reason he's fucking president. Like, yeah, right? If he was yeah. never Obama's VP, yeah. we would have never made a marginal figure like Biden president. We, we wanted to elect Obama again. We want to pretend that the Trump years never happened. We want Obama's third term. This is the, this is the closest we are trying to get right. to that. They ran Hillary because he, you know, she smelled enough like Obama after she decided to let him be her boss. Well, remember her first campaign slogan? It's her turn. Yeah. That's exactly how they that's exactly how they were imagining that. This is her inheritance. Her just reward. She's the epitome and the apotheosis of careerism. Yeah. She grounded out, she took her hits, and now she deserves the presidency. Yeah, I, I really think, you know, we just don't have leaders. Like we don't the leaders that we have are liberals in the sense that they only care. They really still believe that as long as people are, you know, striving for themselves, that we will reach the optimal solution to everything. Nothing requires communal, you know, effort or movements or organization. Like everyone just should be out for themselves. Everyone should be trying to make gains. Everyone should be working out. Everyone should be trying to get a girlfriend. Everyone should try to get laid. Everyone should try to have a life, right? And if everyone just did that, we'd be fine. But instead, you all want to get on Robin Hood and trade stocks, right? That, 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 that was the name of the game. But I'm like, no, people were rallying behind, young people were rallying behind real causes. And mm-hmm. they lost to fucking Trump and Hillary. And then they did it again the next year. And then they were suppressed again, right? They were, they were put down again. Like thousands of people showed up in Queens to Bernie's. Uh, uh, oh yeah, thousands. same same here. Yeah. This was a. I didn't go, but I mean, traffic just shut down. This was a true. I mean, the Democrats should have looked at that and thought, "This is our future. This is." We should harness that money. instead of shutting it down. And yeah, they suppressed it so that even though Bernie had a huge turnout in New York, we never even got to vote for him. He was out by the time the primary mm-hmm. came around here. And they engineered that. That, that was an they outrage. Threw, they, suppressed yeah. the, they, they thought of it as an insurrection, a challenge to their power. And so they suppressed it. But what it really was, it was taking the only energy left in people and blowing it up. And where is it going to go? You can't reallocate that energy. It's going to come back in some form. It came back as Wall Street bets. <laughs> it came back as storming the Capitol. It came back as what yeah. do you think is going to happen? Like either you give people a real cause to get behind that's organized, that has power, or you get these nihilistic you had insurrection. insurrections. Yeah, and everyone loses. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the elites still protect them. See, that's the thing. Ultimately, they're not going to lose as much because they, they can rig the game. But if they keep doing this eventually, they're going to fucking guild teams are going to come out. Heads are going to roll. Heads are going to fucking roll. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, I I mean, to me, this is just so catastrophically stupid and ultimately suicidal. Uh, I mean, if, if, if they had, if they had harnessed Bernie's, Bernie's uh, message and energy, this isn't exactly revolutionizing the system. This is getting a disenfranchised population invested into the system. You're bringing new, a new, let's, you're bringing new people in. 
you've re- you've now turbocharged and reinforced the stability and legitimacy of whatever system you think you're preserving for another generation or two accelerating accelerating cutting people out of that that's accelerating that's accelerating an and could precipitate an actual revolution that dismantles everything uh for good well they're escal- with catastrophic effects for everyone yeah. I mean, they're escalating to some to some flashpoint here. Uh, to me, just see, it's it seems so. It's I cannot wrap my head around uh, the short sightedness of that uh, of that strategy. I, Unless you're outright saying this group of people were okay with just flat out genociding at some point, um, you're not preserving the system by cutting them out. You preserve them by bringing them in. Yeah, I think that's so. I don't understand why where this this I I don't understand this in this uh it whatever's going on out there. I think there. what's going. I think the way I think of it is that there's layered crises. There's a number of crises that are all lined up, ready to happen. And when the first one, we've got to rank them in terms of which one is the most immediately threatening, such that if that crisis if that crisis comes to a head. Uh, it will trigger the ones behind it. So it's not just mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. face multiple crises. It's that they're also ordered in priority. And it seems like it's the financial crisis that is the most pressing. And that if our financial system caves, then that's going to spread into the economy. The economy is going to cave. If that spreads and it spreads into the social crisis that we have, that's going to, you know, and I think, we, I think the people in power actually do have, maybe there is a rational grasp as to what the problem is. It's just much more dire than people might, or much more precarious in the sense that I'm sure that they think it's correct that we should move towards a socialized universal healthcare system. I think it's correct, broadly correct or whatever. But once you really get a glimpse of the true nature of the crises that face uh, our society, that suddenly it seems like the one crisis that could set off all the other ones is also the one that politically is most difficult to address. Like say, say for example, that these memes, this meme stock phenomenon gives way to a general market decline where we start seeing over leveraged um, positions blow up and suddenly we see a major bank uh, come into default risk again. And threatens to drag down the entire financial system. It's going to be very difficult this time for the government to come and do what they did in 2008 and make a bailout without mm-hmm. literally taking a bank CEO and shooting him in the public square for people to see. Right? Because <laughs> yeah, it, like the stakes are higher. Yeah. Just so much higher. So, a lot of the Wall Street bets, the stories were directly tied to 2008. People who were young or uh, people who were young or experienced the catastrophic fallout of 2008 and needed that outlet. Yeah, I, I think that the p- people in power that do have a grasp on what's going on, they just have to realize, like, where do I put, where do we put our finger into the dam that is mm-hmm. most likely to keep it from catastrophically flooding? You know, which is why I don't think they're they're willing to allow us to make big moves like implement socialized medicine or anything like that despite probably knowing that that's something inevitable that we probably should do. 
And the arguments, mm-hmm. you know, the arguments that I see on the left say, like, this is a moral imperative. Like you said, it is a moral imperative. And that is part of the crisis is the fact that our government is hamstrung and cannot do what is a moral imperative, which is to protect its people, you know, and it's, it can't do that. And it's not set up to do that. And um, we're just in fucking trouble. Like, <laughs> there's just no way. Like Deep if, fucking if trouble. Look, and no matter where you look. Yeah. It's a fact. It's a fact. We're in deep fucking trouble. It's not a fringe theory. It's not a uh, controversial statement. It is patent fact. And I'm shocked at how many people are able to look the other way, particularly the professional middle classes. We're we are so detached from reality. We're so committed to squeezing every last drop of privilege and comfort from our situations we've basically cannot see a future that is any different than the present that we're living in despite the fact that all of these mega crises are already impinged into the reality of the present literally playing Mm -hmm. golf with the forest on fire in the background no problem yeah literally going out and you know living carefree acting as if nothing's going on meanwhile we have a half a million dead we won't even wear masks. Like it's cr- like pushing. We want our own kids to go back to school now because we're tired of seeing them all day. Despite the fact that. <laughs> and we need to get out there nerd. Yeah. And, and we're just tired of it. And people are just like, no, the world, it's a, it's such a regress. It's just the way of the world is how I've been living for the past 30 years or 20 years or 10 years, whatever it is, whatever comfortable middle class a really short amount of time yeah, very short amount. very short amount of time but there, to us this this is the way of the world this is how the world should be. this is the normal this is making america normal again is i should be able to live this is everything we were trained for it is difficult yeah. it is really difficult to break out of that because uh, if you're if you're in your 30s or 40s you've spent your entire life in service of this life which you're told you're not inherently entitled to. This is why what the, the mad dash to higher education is all about. You don't have a you're you're not born in the princely class, right? With a with a silver spoon in your mouth. You're not entitled to jack shit. Uh, but there is a baseline expectation you have for life, based on the sacrifices you made early on. You grounded out in school. You you went to a good college. You went to grad school. You you struggled long hours at a job. You, blah blah so on and so forth. Now you need the five bedroom house, the uh, sort of nice car, and that's the life that you are entitled to. And you will not accept less. You know what's interesting. You know I think what's happening more is getting a little more. I think is comfortably out of reach. So mo- people don't actually aspire to that. But it's uh, like I don't think people are aspiring to be billionaires right now. They're aspiring to not be poor. That's the, that's the real that's the that's the real driver. I think for the middle it's class, fear. it's fear more than greed that's pushing people. Yeah, I yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. Funny. I had this conversation with like at my old job with my boss once, and we were, it was bonus uh, announcement day. And my bonus was exactly the same as the year before, which was funny because I worked much less than the year before. And I told mm-hmm. him, I was like, look, and at that point, I just, I was like so sick of the job. I actually was like, I was angling to get laid off, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so my, 
the bonus announcement came and it's got this thing, you know, in a bank where you got to go like into this, it's a very private thing. It's a very, you know, and so he writes the number, they, well, he shows me a piece of paper with the number on it. Like it's some sacred event. Like I give a fuck. Right. <laughs> and, and, and then they asked me, or he asked me, but they're, they're like, they have two bosses, right. Asked me what I think about this. And I was like, you know what? I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to say what's on my mind. You know? And I said, look, I'm fine with this number. I don't give a shit. But um, I said, it, it's curious just because it doesn't matter whether I work my ass off or I slap because this number is not going to change. And in fact, you've said that to us before, like by and large, this number is not going to change. And I said, I've got no problem with the size of this thing. My problem is that I don't know what the motivational model here is. If I work hard, I get this. If I don't work hard, I get this. So what, what is the, what is the intended model here? What's the market model as to how this number is in any way relevant to how I spend my day, day to day here? I mean, I asked this, that, that's basically how I asked the question and I thought it was an aggressive question, but because I didn't give a fuck anymore, I was just like, I'll just say what's on my mind. And you know what? My, both of them were like, that is a really good question. I struggle with that myself. <laughs> <laughs> and he said to me, he said, I'll give you the answer because I've, I've thought about this question and I'll give you the answer. The answer is fear. The fear is mm. losing this job. This is a good job. You may not think that until you lose it because it is much better to have this job than to not have this job. And that is what you're talking mm -hmm. about, right? It is, it, it's really about not being poor than it is any yeah. amount of ambition you know, to, to achieve your dreams. I don't think the people that are showing up every day to a crummy white collar job uh, and being tethered to a, to, to, to your goddamn Blackberry app um, is, 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 is in any way chasing a dream. I think it is fundamentally motivated, exactly what you said, motivated by fear of falling out of that class because what they look, they, they look below and they're like, I can't survive without mm -hmm. this I'm, I'm stuck yeah you know and i think that, so it's pretty um, it's, it's a pretty depressing way to it's a pretty de depressing way to live it's a really a really depressing outlook it means there's no there's no aspiration there's no real hope uh this is what i'm noticing with my friends like like you get into your mid-30s you kind of hit your groove you can kind of see where the, the rest of your life is going to unfurl uh, you know roughly where your income is going to be max out at. Um, you're kind of in a you're in a rut for the next few decades, um, and it's just the it's it's just the fear of it's just the fear of dropping out of that class that keeps people motivated. There's no real aspiration for anything much higher than that. I think that's right. I think I I, I doubt that those people were were um, YOLO invest. They're not YOLO investors. You know, and you've got to you've got to be like, wow, at least the YOLO investors really don't give a fuck. They're like, I could lose it all. I don't give a shit. You know, like I, mean, I think mm -hmm. a lot of them end up, that's something end up that giving a shit. But the, the middle class will yeah. never do this. Yeah, because uh, I mean, that's uh, for a lot of the personal stories. Um, they say that, like, I've been poor before this one thousand dollars that I dumped into. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I lose it or not. Um, that's something that, you know, somebody with a mortgage, a couple car payments, some tuition to have to pay. That's something they, they won't, they will never say. Yeah. You know, I think that the, um, 
the in a, in a way like the American uh, upper middle class, professional managerial class, or whatever. You know, they don't think that they've been affected, or they like it's still kind of like you said, like how these are theoretical risks, and and there's kind of off in the future, but they have not the effects of it have not yet come home to roost for them. But I don't mm-hmm. agree with that. I think uh, it has, but not in a material sense. Not in the sense of like, oh, their houses are getting shittier or their cars are getting shittier or their clothes are getting shittier or their vacations are getting shit. Well, the vacations have gotten shittier. But the... I think there's been a little squeeze at the edges and that it's closing in. But you know what the real effect is? I think is the change in the nature of their relationship and their mindset to work. That has changed big time. Mm. And that's a big effect, but you can't really measure that. But I think the amount of stress the amount of anxiety, the amount of just sort of overall feelings of dissatisfaction, the amount of, you know, just middle-class malaise that doesn't necessarily show up in the checkbook, but does show up in just mm-hmm. this, this sort of like psychological desperation of the class. Understanding, like, for example, just like the fear of like where their children are going to end up, the fear for their children's future. Mm-hmm. Just, just, and the and the inability to say no at work, the inability to yeah. not turn off the email, the the inability to think of yourself as a free person. Yeah, these are these. The, this is the behavior of stressed lab rats, right? Not free agents, you know. And you compare, like, go back and watch something like um, Mad Men, and they were we we're living material lives on par or better than people of that era. But people of that era, I feel like, were much more free uh, in this class. Mm-hmm. They, I think, were a lot more fearless. They were a lot more empowered. They had a lot more in terms of like what they wanted to do in, like, say, say the '60s or, or even the '70s. You know, that feels true. And, and, and like actual productive labor, productive labor. Like, there's a mission. There's a cause. There's an upward aspiration. Yes. Yeah, they were doing something. Uh, even in. Like, like, even leaving aside just big, you know, big projects like getting to the moon or, you know, inventing advertising or, or what, whatever the, whatever the fuck ever. Even personally, there was a more of a sense of upward mobility. Mm-hmm. You could buy a house. You could have children. You could have these things more easily than you can now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I felt that big time because when I, I remember, because I, I was at, you know, I was sort of thinking that, okay, if you go to like, you know, like a top law school and you come out and you're going to be like this highly paid associate attorney or whatever, like you're, you're on the road to, uh, you know, a really nice lifestyle. But what I noticed was like in New York city, of, of course, that wherever you made that money, the prices just came up to meet you where you were. And the reality is that just to have what would be considered like a normal American suburban life that had been defined, I think, probably from the 50s to the 80s or 90s, like that was getting increasingly it's diff- shockingly expensive. It got very expensive. And mm-hmm. what was used to be considered a very sort of like prosaic suburban or urban existence uh, became like a real luxury. It was a luxury marker to have kids in school. <laughs> It was a luxury marker to, yeah. you know, just have a house with uh, some children in it. And yeah, I got into this with some uh, some tech, some tech, a blue check a while ago. 
Um, he did. He he put up a couple of uh, pictures of the house that uh, Walt Disney, Jeff Bezos, and Steve Jobs grew up in. Mm-hmm. And he's like, these guy, these titans of industry, uh, came up in a house like this. You have no excuses. And I'm like, bitch, th- those are three million dollar houses right, right. now. And like, if they can just work in their parents' garages, you know, what's your excuse? Most people don't have a garage. I I don't know what. And he's it was a it was it was it was just blatant how uh, how out of touch he was. Like he's obviously framing that as oh this is a suburban uh, a really plebeian existence <laughs> yeah, to exactly. come up in a four bedroom house. Yeah, four bedroom with house. Attached oh, house over Seattle. <laughs> yeah, like they came from they came from ugh, this yeah. ugh, this swamp of mediocrity what's your excuse like why that's that's like the pinnacle of most people's aspirations at this point yeah and, and you know people put themselves into this trap because they're just like okay well i am you know a highly paid white collar professional i should live a highly i should live a life commensurate with that and I, you know, I'm not flashy. I don't want anything big. I just want like a house in a nice neighborhood with the, you know, bedroom. Like their their belief is that that uh, what the standard that was set by television in the '80s or you know whatever sitcoms and stuff, uh, television shows that we see about what the good American life is, not the extravagant life, or whatever, just the bare, the plain middle class American life. Um, that I should be living that. And the reality, mm-hmm. I think, is that the financial uh, burden to keep that lifestyle up into this modern era in our economic situation is much more burdensome than people in the 80s were actually paying for it. Mm-hmm. You know, There's a lot of alienation and shame, I think. And you see this in how much debt people pile on yeah. to preserve these uh, very, quote, normal uh, downright yeah. humble thinking, lifestyles. I'm thinking twice. People literally taking out one point one, one point two million dollar mortgages, and I'm like, that that's a lot, you know. Like, or or when they, or for example, like when people like buy a car these days. I mean, they're so flippant about using leverage and either doing a lease or a loan. And I'm like, that's a sixty five thousand dollar automobile. Like one way or another, you're paying for that. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. and it's just it's just crazy how. People are very uh, say, well, I, you know, I should, I should drive uh, a Range Rover. That's just kind of like what you would do in my, as me, you know, like, how do I put this? Like, yeah. Our lifestyle expectations have not scaled back with our financial reality. And, yeah. and I think that that is causing, like, you have the simulacrum of that life. You have the simulacrum of the good American life. But attendant with it, the psychology is totally different. Yeah. You know, whereas before like it you, truly was privilege, on- it truly was American wealth. It truly was like, this is America. This is what life in America is like. Now it's like, no, you've got to like, yeah, you can still look like it was 19, you know, you know, 1982 or I don't know. 1968. Yeah. But it, it's much more difficult to maintain it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is um why people are really fucking unhappy yeah i i I agree i mean personally several years ago i just took on a zero debt challenge so like i'm not going into debt to maintain anything Mm -hmm. man not much not that much you can do if you're not willing to, to uh to squeeze to squeeze the margins a little bit 
yeah. to take on leverage to buy a car or to buy a house, yeah. um, anything. They said they, they said um, that the market for for cheap cars has disappeared. There's no such thing as a cheap car anymore. I bet. Like every there's there is average no car thing. in America costs thirty five thousand dollars. Thirty five thousand dollars is the average price of a new automobile in America. Uh, you know, that makes that's a lot of money. I mean, SUVs. I, I think SUVs overtook sedans yeah. recently. It, yeah, those are expensive cars. I mean, it's funny how my my friends will casually talk about spending that kind of cash. But then I'm like, but then on the other hand, they're like how, complaining how difficult it is to save cash. So spending thirty five thousand, well, yeah. no problem. Saving thirty five thousand dollars, impossible. That's really tough. Right? Yeah, that's it's really tough. Yeah, yeah. But but they have no problem spending it. So I'm like, how is it that you're in a situation where spending one point two, one point three million dollars on like a totally normal house? And then $60,000 on your Tesla Model 3 is no biggie, you know, but and then and then maxing out the card to go on vacation to uh, Hawaii or to Africa or whatever the fuck is no biggie. But when it comes down to saving, you know, a, 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 just a, a modest nugget of cash for the year has become impossible, you know, and, and that just that's just not how it should be. Like, I, I find that to be a very precarious existence. And it, and I and I say no to it. <laughs> I'm like, fuck oh. it. I'm I'm living in a rent stabilized apartment and letting the financial <laughs> unwinding happen as I'm protected by city statute. And uh, I'll come out when it's over. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. Hang on. I yeah. Precarity is just I, I I'm I'm very nervous about that. Maybe neurotic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's. That's how I'm living, at any rate. Yeah. In case uh, that's of any use to clarify where I stand on things. Turning to preppers, urban preppers. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My green onion crop is really—it's—it's it's come in strong. So you know, I'm set. <laughs> I'm glad we talk like this because, <laughs> you know, if you don't, and I think this is another problem with, um, you know, that class of our class of people. I'd say. Is uh, and we should call it our class. I mean, they do come from the schools that we came from, right? Like, do come from our our mm-hmm. friends are like this, and and I mean, honestly, like we're probably like this to an extent. We're probably just like sort of self criticizing. At least I am. No, at least I am to a degree. No, you don't think so? I'm outside this. No, <laughs> no, I, yeah, of course. No, I do. Yeah. You only hate. You can only truly hate stuff that you see in yourself. Right. So we're not pretending you know. we're better than that. We're just <laughs> trying to reform ourselves. But it does make me feel well. The big hack, the big hack that you and I have, we don't have children. That's I think that's a big buy into the system. That's a huge hack. So I think we touched on this last time Uh, when people are now talking about you know how Corona brought us a whole baby bust. Mm -hmm. um, They simply just talk about it in terms of the like the the unit of labor that this child represents, right? Like future workers would pay into social security, et cetera, take you know provide a labor base to take care of us in our age, stuff like that. But if you look, if you're thinking about it more holistically, then you know people not having children is yet another step that they are taking outside society. Yes, um, one less tie that binds them to the rise and fall of the social, you know, relationships that we all have to there that we're obliged to live in. I think parents do in insane amounts of they they do they do insane things for their children, and this is the thing that uh, I think we're we're basically just talking about that. We're talking about people like going to work under inhumane conditions, uh, stressing about how to you know 
lever their children into advantageous positions. So they're set up for an, for a middle-class life too. Um, taking on debt to make sure you're, 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 you're able to send your kids to the good schools, uh, so how to compete with the rich kids, blah, blah, blah. Uh, kids are the ultimate buy-in. Having children means that you are now invested in the success of your society. People not having children, that's a bad sign. That's a really bad indicator. I think it's very sad. I, I think that I did not, I, that choice for me was not necessarily a hack against, you know, to stay outside the system, but it was just a natural result, perhaps fortunate for me, result of really having a lifelong aversion to having any real responsibility and uh, always having a, a very deep suspicion of the fact that what people need to do <laughs> is load themselves up. With I like how matter-of-factly you, you you dropped that so matter-of-factly. But I mean, hey, you know, it's... it's I, I don't know why true. we have to be so goddamn responsible. You know what I mean? Like, I've just never understood. Yeah. Why would human beings want to have a huge amount of responsibility? I always thought the point of life was to make it as easy and pleasant as possible and intentionally going out and loading up on responsibility always seemed to be really uh not 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 really the right thing to do for your mental health you know what i mean i, I yeah I look the, the people it. pod yeah. in wally sounds like a blast yeah that's everything i'm doing now is a cope because i don't have access to uh you know the uh the little the little floating chair that takes me from look, you know look. meal to meal basically yeah, look Everyone who's working their fucking asses off and with with two kids in a house in Montclair, New Jersey, okay, what are you doing with all that wealth? What are you doing with all that saved up privilege? You're going on Disney cruises with your kids uh, to make memories for a lifetime, right? What is that? That's the spaceship in Wally. It's yeah. a difference. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You, that's yeah. your payoff is to have two weeks of that. Yeah. You know? So, God, it's bleak. Uh, and it's getting precarious. I don't think the boomers worried about their kids the same way that uh, Gen X and the millennials are worried about their kids. And you see this in like every op-ed by a boomer criticizing how millennials are raising their kids. The helicopter parent, you know, over overloading on the extracurriculars, uh, angling, doing crazy things to get them into better schools, uh, college prep that starts basically in kindergarten, shit like that. Um, yeah, it wouldn't. Uh, it, it, it's it's reflecting a different set of social pressures. I think having and and I don't want to this. I'm not criticizing this because I think it is ch parents and their children. It's a there's a sanctity to that, and I think that yes, that is why people um, have children, or not necessarily have children, but why the relate why it matters so much. Why that becomes the central thing in their life is. Because that is the one thing that at, in a sort of like emotional realm exists outside of the system is the thing that transcends everything is my devotion to my children. I don't think that's a bad thing, but I do think that it is being used against us in a cynical way. And I find that unacceptable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's the thing that gets, you know, people to work insane hours for diminishing pay yeah. so that they don't lose the house so that they can pay for their kids you know food and extracurriculars and all of that health care jesus expensive. yeah and it is they are our hostages the system has turned our own children into our hostages you know mm -hmm. and it's really despicable but that's how it works and that's why we can't have you know health health care outside of the employment out of outside of our employer health plan 
you know, and mm-hmm. um, that's why they can't just fucking make tuition free. They they have to load uh, load up on debt. Uh, we have to we have to deal with fucking fifty six thousand dollar tuition or whatever. Like it's insane. They've per year. year. We've they've turned us into salmon. per year. Uh, so that by the mm-hmm. time we have our kids, you know, safe and sound and ready to start their life, we're dead. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> All stringy and dry and shriveled. Yeah. Or like yeah. in, the, in the jaws of a bear, you know, with our skin. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's awful. And it, that's not how human beings should be. But I don't know. I feel like we are the, they use the sanctity of their children of our children to say no that is what life is and if you gave a shit about your children you would stop bitching and accept the reality you are a salmon you're going to do everything you can to swim upstream and you're not going to bitch about it because if you don't it means you don't care about your kids you mm, know yeah. and that's just so cynically fucked up that i just i can't participate in that uh, yeah i feel the same way you know I know some people who are some friends who are expecting this year. I know they're going through a lot. Um, and this isn't a criticism of their decisions or anything. Uh, far from it. I wish I had that kind of faith and dedication to doing whatever it took mm. uh, that they're showing for their for their children, their unborn children now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't have it in me. So yeah, there's that's that's just it. Uh, and I and then that's you know. It's just one more. It's just one more indicator that that we we are just simply we're headed for a lot of pain. We're just waiting for it. We're we're just waiting for the shoe to drop. Yeah. At this point, I don't really see a way out. So there's just a period of hurt that we're all just going to have to go through. Maybe we're going starting to go through it now, but it's going to get a lot worse. I think it's going to get worse, and I think the shoe has dropped. We just don't necessarily know it when it happens, though we feel it. Do you know what I mean? True. Yeah. Like. We we've we delude ourselves into thinking it hasn't dropped, even though it has. And that I think is the thing that's really tricky about all this is that while we are looking for things to fall apart, they are falling apart. It's just our standards are getting lower. Our tolerance yeah. for pain is getting higher. Our expectations yeah, it's degrading are, us as people. Yeah. 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 And it, I, I think we're way more venal. We're selfish. We're anxious, depressed. Fearful. Uh, just fearful, um, and this leads us to become bad, to do bad things, to become bad people and do bad things. Yeah. Uh, just, I don't know. This is a bleak thing, but again, I guess I was saying that I'm glad that you know. I think it. I think the reason I like potting about this and talking about it and putting it out there is because, um, you know, I I think it helps me feel more sane. To know that the mm-hmm. stresses that are building up or the anxieties that are building up are caused by real events. That, for example, like people's fear about financial instability and insecurity is not irrational. That there is something going on and that you can read academic papers about what's going on and you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist all the time. You don't have to rely on the fringes. You, you don't have to um, be the crazy person in order to externalize a lot of the anxieties that you feel. And I think before, that was the big problem, was if you thought that there was something wrong with the system that gave you so much, if you thought that there was something weird about how aggressive employers were becoming, about how hierarchical the workplace was becoming, how inhumane it was becoming, that you were just weak. 
mm-hmm. you know, and I think that you couldn't cut it. Yeah, you're just a failure and rationalizing your failures. You're not cut out by blaming it yeah. on the system. You're not cut out. Yeah, but now we realize that that I think is was a very brief moment in time that people were dilute were self were blaming themselves for that stuff. I finally think that we're or my hope hope for hope for outcome is that we can all just sort of validate this phenomenon amongst ourselves so that we live within a new kind of understanding of reality. So we can actually do something about it. You know, like if, if everyone's just blaming themselves, you, the problem is you can't, it's not just that you're full of anxiety and shit. It's that you can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. No one, no one agrees. But if we now finally starting to agree, maybe COVID is starting to bring this out. Like, okay, fine. We have to do something about this shit. You know, we can't, we can't keep going on like this. And I remember I, I, I you know, one of the things that really brought this uh, contradiction out for me was my first job. I was working on a really big, uh, lawsuit that our client was in Germany. It's a major, uh, uh, major tech company in Germany. And my boss flew to Munich, uh, over the weekend, uh, to do some discovery, meaning to collect some documents or whatever. And this was my first job and I, I, in, in law. And I was like, wow, you're going to fly to Munich over the weekend. <laughs> you know, you're going to spend the weekend flying to Germany just to collect some documents to come back. He was like, well, what, what else am I going to do? I'm going to just waste all this time, you know, on the flight uh, during the week. No, I, I have work to do. So that was, you know, that was the thing where I was like, oh, wow, you like to do this job. You've got to like really 20, every single hour of your life is fair game. Right. Okay. So he gets to Munich mm-hmm. and then I get this email going, dude, I have to stay here for a little bit longer. And I was like, oh, what happened? He was like, Apparently, it's illegal in Germany to open the offices on the weekend. So he couldn't. Oh, dang. He, he, okay. showed up, he showed up at the client's office and there was nobody uh-huh. there. <laughs> and the security guard made him go away and said, what the fuck are you doing? And he was like, oh, I'm here to collect documents. He's like, it's Saturday. He's like, yeah, it's a great time. Here. He's like, you're not allowed inside. It's against the law. And he was like, can you believe that? It's against the law here to go in the fucking office. This is insane. And I was like, why is that insane? That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. You're, you're yeah. the asshole that flew you, there. Like, oh, I, I'm sorry. I can't work. It's Saturday. I don't want to get in trouble, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. It was so funny. And was, the funny thing was... Uh, and he was mad? Yeah, he was mad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was this guy. He would always do this. I remember uh, when I first um, got to know him, you know, we were talking, I was talking about my family background and I said, oh yeah, my, my parents came over from Taiwan. He's like, oh, I've been to Taiwan. I was like, oh yeah, did you like it? He's like, I don't know because I didn't actually go through customs. I was like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? He was like, oh, I flew there for a uh, deposition, but we scheduled it af- uh, on the other side of customs. So the, 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 the person he was deposing um, actually checked through customs or checked through security and um, met him in the international lounge and they did the they did the deposition there and then he just flew back after that so I was like you flew oh wow what 16 hours to taipei went into a room did a deposition and then just got back on the plane and flew back yep i was like man this sucks <laughs> i was like this just that, sucks <laughs> it was so funny. that really does so funny but these people yeah. Despite all that, they really think that they've traveled around the world and seen everything, you know? Mm-hmm. 
the 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 way they live in this tiny little bubble and are sealed off from experiencing actual life while thinking that they're experiencing life. It was very apparent to me from the very beginning that that was going on. And I'm glad I just never taught myself to see past that. I couldn't see past it. I was like, these mm-hmm. people are miserable and they will always be miserable. I don't give a fuck. I don't know where to go from that. That's, 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 yeah. I mean, you agree or uh, you agree, right? I'm sure you agree. I, I do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that. that was, uh, I, it recalls, recalls stories of my own. So yeah. Um, I know a friend who uh, who took great pride in in uh, traveling, but it turns out like because her company would send her to like Barcelona, Argentina, it was really great. So I was really kind of envious because uh, I mean my job certainly did not have such perks. Uh, and then you know, and then she finally changed jobs, um, something she liked a little bit better. That you know took a big pay cut, took a giant step back in, in lifestyle, uh, but she was a lot happier. And she said, "Well, you know, I I." I would do this crazy shit. Like I would on the way to the meeting, I would stop by a park to take a selfie and put it on Instagram. Or I would run like during a company lunch, you know, or dinner in Spain, when they went to the bathroom, I take a snap at the table or something and put, and just post it so that, but like basically all I saw were airports and corporate offices and corporate offices look the same everywhere. It's so bleak. Uh, So I just, (laughs) Yeah, and I'm like, oh well, that's that's pretty goddamn grim. <laughs> that's, that's real bad. So, so that's, it's real bad. Yeah, and that she was trying, but she was still trying. Like she was trying to put on the whole show uh, for Instagram that she's this glamorous, you know, high powered, you know, up and coming executive who's flying to Spain and Argentina and France and, and New York and all these places. Um, and at some point, you just you just can't pay the tab anymore. Mm. So, um, I feel bad to end things without any kind of like, like, and here's 10 tips to improve your lot in life or something. No, no, uh, you I did. I, did. I think that is the tip. The tip is stop, stop, ha- stop huffing copium. Like, oh, there, there you just, go. Be, yeah. just be yeah. okay with the fact that shit's fucked up and it's not, it's not the end of the world. It's probably going to make you feel better to be uh, aware that, you know, shit is going south and, it is yeah. responsible. Uh, it is the, it is your responsibility? Just like you know, if you're a responsibility uh, addict, it is your responsibility to prepare or to assess the risk, particularly of you know severe financial downturns or severe you know ch- changes and discontinuities that are coming. You owe it to yourself or to your family or whatever to to be open to that idea and that you should get prepared. You know, the last thing you want to do is yeah. is, is just get caught uh, like a deer in the headlights about what's coming because it really is coming. I don't know what else to say. I think that I've not heard any credible person uh, that, you know, really has analyzed or thought about the situation say otherwise. And I can't think of any reason. Yeah. I'm really not accepting, you know, words of hope from the, it seems like the most optimistic people are like politicians in their 80s. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we can, this is just a minor uh, bump in the road. We can turn the ship around. Like, I'm not going to believe you. You don't have as much of a stake in this as, as, uh, as others do here. Mm-hmm. You, like, if you're 80, yeah, you were born into, like, the bubble of all bubbles, which is American middle class life in the middle of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. 
uh, that is the bubble of all bubbles. I think if you take the long view of humanity, um, I don't feel particularly bad necessarily. I stopped feeling like a failure to not so easily be able to achieve that kind of life. Mm. Uh, this has nothing to do with me. Mm. And I think there's a lot of anxiety and fear that cutting that being cut back or not being not being able to achieve that kind of life is some personal reflection. I think that's the that's the propaganda being shoved at everyone that if you don't achieve, you know, it was your fault. Mm -hmm. But really that bubble had to burst sometime. Yeah. In the long view of humanity, it's not it's not normal for people to have been able to uh hoard so much or to enjoy such an elevated standard of living compared to the baseline for the rest of humanity. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, like okay. The decline is, has fun stuff in it too. So it's not like a straight line down. Um, so I don't know. I'm just taking, I'm, I'm taking my kicks where I can. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, cool. So that was the uh, GameStop trade, y'all. <laughs> That's what yeah. ended. <laughs> we can just, uh, we can just title yeah. it, you yeah. know, Huffing the Hopium. Yeah, yeah. I, again, I, I I just feel like there should be an all-on assault on every uh, every assumption of you know American white-collar life, and it, it just needs to be it needs to come to an end. The 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 culture mm -hmm. that has surrounded it, and it's not the culture that it used to be. It's the what it has, what the fuck it's morphed into. You know what I mean? And it's not. A bit. I'm not against success, you know. I'm not against comfort. I'm not against, you know, uh, that it's it's just the way that um, it's just the way that it's being it's turned into an illusion, you know, and the amount and the price that it extract that it exacts from us. That in a lot of times it's a hidden it's a hidden cost, um, you know, that need it just we really need to question that shit you know that's why i was such a big fan of that graber thing the the whole bullshit jobs mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. way it released so many people freed so many people to just say the thing that you're not allowed to say which is like i don't do anything i don't know why i get paid yeah. <laughs> you know like i don't know yeah. what the fuck i'm doing but i have to do it i don't know i don't have any real responsibilities but i'm stressed as fuck you know that makes a job more stressful yes, if you, most exactly. of your job is kind of hiding that you don't do yeah. anything yeah i i felt that in my corporate job it's like everything that i had to get done was like an hour's worth of work like okay like data science okay so you spend a lot of time thinking about the problem you construct a model you write a little code and then you're waiting forever for it to execute and then you can see if you were right or wrong or tweak it from there but there's a lot of downtime um they really hated this downtime. Yeah. And I had to like come up with bullshit to kind of fill in the gaps of time. Like even like even like my boss understood the nature of the job, uh, but not really. Mm -hmm. um, like she understood that it'd be like two hours of downtime, but she would hate it that I took that downtime. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my job was kind of like like getting creative about which tab is open at the top of my stack, pretending to like write emails to yeah. people. Um, it that was the most stressful part of the job. Yeah. Uh, in addition to interacting with everyone else who was also engaged in the same scam that I was. Yeah. Um, so that so 
hiding hiding what you're doing or not doing makes the job really stressful um yeah i think yeah i I, you know like creating more work for yourself i totally know like a huge part of my old job was like you know you talking me talking to like my boss about something that we were doing in conjunction with some other department and him telling me okay i want you to craft an email that says this says that says that so that we make sure that you know um, the ball is in their court and everyone understands that all the problems that have arisen so far in this transaction is their fault, but you can't say it too directly. I just so say it this way. So I would write mm-hmm. the email and then I would show it to him and say, what do you think about this? And then he'd look at it and he'd edit it and all this stuff. It fucking took two hours to write an email for the sole purpose of managing the assignment of blame within an institution for something that went wrong. Mm-hmm. And I got paid mm-hmm. money for that, you know, and that is not a privilege. That's not something that's good. It's not good to be get paid to do nothing. It's not, you know what I mean? Like, unless you go in with the, as, as cynical a view of, of, of this whole thing as me, where I absolutely refuse to derive any meaning or, or pride in any of this shit, but I'm solely saying like, look, this is like the easiest and only way to make money at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you try and attach meaning and value to that, you're going to become a very sad person because I know a lot of people who do do that and they just become desperate neurotic people. I don't know. It's just, mm, that's just how it yeah. is. And it's not just the nature. It's a lot of different people that end up in that situation. They come from different, they have different personalities, different natures, but they all end up with that sort of fragile and desperate personality. I don't know how else to put it, but they're, they're, they're very fragile. It's easy to piss them off, easy to offend them. They're always on the verge, you know, so it's a neurotic life yeah 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 there it's not a robust personality that that creates it's a very touchy Mm -hmm. and you know you know what i'm talking about i do yeah very sensitive and it's not even a ding because they in order to succeed they're managing people yeah you have to be hypersensitive hyper attuned Mm -hmm. to the people uh you need to suck up to yeah um so it be, this 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 warps your brain. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced of it. Yeah. Uh, and this is why, like at the top, what people who are the best at it are absolute fucking psychopaths. Yeah. So just straight up psychopaths. I guarantee you that at least some people have listened to this whole thing and are nodding in agreement. And if you have, I guarantee you, we will not. Uh, I uh, and I think a lot of us, you know, we talk a lot amongst you know offline and stuff. Is like, I I I, I think we're. I want to just keep digging into this. Like I, I want to just, cause I really think like it's important socially for like people for the upper middle class or professional managerial class to, to, to lose, to stop buying in and to join the rest of, you know, society and realizing that there's a big struggle going on and it can't just be about you protecting your little gains. Like you've got to, mm-hmm. You know, you've got to see the bigger picture of what's going on. Um, you cannot just like, you can't just shrink your world down to just this like one little thing. You know, I don't know how else to put it, but we'll 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 we'll, we'll, we'll keep digging into it. I'm going to keep digging into it. Yeah, be degenerate, buy Bitcoin, do drugs. I don't know. <laughs> We're not in- I don't know. I got nothing there. <laughs> don't, 
we are not. This is not investment advice, folks. <laughs> we should do a Bitcoin. Oh, yes, it is. We should do a Bitcoin one. At some we should point. do a Bitcoin. We should do a Bitcoin one. I do yeah. not own Bitcoin. Okay. I don't know if I will ever own Bitcoin, but I have been looking into it. And uh, I tend to think that I am the person where once I believe in something, that's exactly the moment that it reveals itself to be a fraud. I am the signal of something yeah. being a fraud. It's when I buy into it. <laughs> so you know, noted. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, that was uh, that was fun. All right. Cool. Thanks. Thanks all. Thank you.